Good morning. Thank you for that. A special welcome if you are a visitor this morning. You're especially welcome. You're all welcome. You know that. You're all welcome here this morning. Whether you've been here for two times or 200 times. So look, we are continuing with our uh, Unlocking Revelation series exciting book of the Bible and it's been uh, so exciting over the last uh, two weeks to hear Danny opening up chapters 5 and chapter 7. Well today we're going to be jumping back to chapter 6. Now you might be asking why are we doing it in that order? Um, Well we're going to be covering quite a a large chunk of scripture this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking not just at chapter 6 Uh, but also some of what we read in chapters 8, 9, and 10, and chapters 15 and 16. So kind of no pressure there, six chapters in one morning, okay? Um, Now, as odd as that may seem, um, there's a common theme to what we read in those chapters, which is why I kind of wanted to cover them together. And an important point that we need to make right at the beginning, that that I personally make every time we open up Revelation, uh, is that we need a bit of a roadmap. We need uh, to understand the sequence of events that we read of here, uh, certainly in the middle portion of Revelation. Because reading it sequentially, literally as it's in the Bible, chapter by chapter by chapter, actually throws up some challenges. There's some kind of difficulties with that. I'll share a slide a little bit later on that that kind of is my attempt to put Revelation on one slide. Um, um, But certainly there's there's kind of different ways to interpret Revelation. That's another thing that we need to kind of uh, be aware whenever we look at the book. We need to come with a certain humility to this. I'm going to share this morning the way I understand it, my personal take on it, if you like, but, but certainly that's not the only way people would explain and preach uh, Revelation. Uh, there are different views, very different, valid views. Um, and that's why, as in previous weeks, we will have a, a question and answer session afterwards uh, in Barnum Room. It's the room, just first one up there on the right. You've got time after this morning to grab a cup of coffee. But if you want to, if you want to come and some further questions or you want to just look at this a little bit further, just for 20 or so minutes, you've got time to grab a coffee, we'll be there uh, from about 11.45. Now, the six chapters or six chapters that I want to refer to this morning, although not next to each other in the book, talk of a common theme. They talk of a a series of kind of judgments or events, uh, world-impacting events that come across, that come upon the earth. Uh, They're grouped together into kind of three groups of seven. I uh, am talking about this with Valentina this week. I I, uh, jokingly made the the reference that I've got a 21-point sermon. Well, actually, I haven't. I I wouldn't inflict that on you. I wouldn't inflict that on anyone. But there are three groups of seven things that, if you like, happen. Um, In chapter 6, very, very overview. We'll dig into this a little bit in a minute. But a very, very overview view. In chapter 6, we have seven seals that are opened. That's the wax-type seals, not the furry animal uh, that's very cuddly. So just make sure we've got the right sort of seal here. Six seals are opened, uh, and certain events occur as a result of that. 
in chapters 8, 9, and 10, we have seven trumpets that, as they are blown, they announce some other quite calamitous events that occur. And in chapters 15 and 16, we have seven bowls of wrath, or plagues, as they're sometimes called to, that are poured out over the world. Uh, no easy stuff this morning. You've got to kind of buckle up again for a kind of what's going to be a tough old morning. Um, so let's read chapter 6 just to get an idea of where we are going this morning. So we're going to, again, we're told we're blessed when we read Revelation, so let's do that. Let's read uh, chapter 6. Now, as I watched, this is John speaking. Now, as I watched uh, when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked and behold a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second, second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked and behold a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. I'll explain what that means a bit later on. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked and behold a pale horse and its rider's name was Death and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks from the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the, fall, from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? And then just briefly in Revelation chapter 8, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. There were peals of thunder, rumbling flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Let's just pray. Father, uh, I pray that you bless our time this morning. Pray you'd help us to understand this passage with all its challenges, with all its difficulties. Help me to convey my thoughts clearly. Help us to hear you speaking to us this morning. Amen. 
Amen. How often do we hear Revelation 6 preached on? It's not the most comforting chapter in the Bible. It's not one that uh, sits too easily on us at times, but let's see what we can do with it. We read there of some pretty scary events. If you were to read the other chapters, you'd see similar uh, disturbing events, a scorched earth, polluted seas, the sun both burning people and becoming dark. Now, I don't want to get too much into the detail of each of those. We just simply don't have the time to do that. But also, I think it's more important to, to see these events from an overall perspective. Remember, I said one of the key things about understanding Revelation is to keep holding on to the big picture. What's the single most important message that we need to take away from this? And so this morning, I, I want to ask and hopefully answer three questions. How are these events ordered? That's the first question. Do they occur literally in the sequence that we read them? Or is there some overlapping and retelling of the same idea? If you remember, uh, I think it was last week, Danny was talking about the way, a very common literary style in Revelation and writings of this era, is to retell the same story from a different perspective. When do the, when, how are these events ordered? Secondly, when do these events occur? That's a, that's a pretty obvious question to ask with all of Revelation. Is this past, present, or future that we're reading about? And then, what happens in between? Now, what I mean by that, and the full answer to that, will actually be the subject of other talks. But it's important to briefly introduce this idea today. You see, by grouping these chapters together, chapter 6, 8, 9, and 10, and 15, and 16... We see this common theme, but it also helps us to see this other kind of narrative that's taking place in the other chapters at the same time. As I say, that will be the subject of some of the talks that we're coming to later on. So firstly, how are these events ordered? How do we make sense of what we're reading here in Revelation? Well, let me start by giving you a picture that I hope will help. I want you to imagine that we are watching a football match. We're not, not in the stadium, we're not, we're not there uh, in person, but we're watching it on television. We're watching a football match on television. And most importantly, we have never come across before the idea of televised football. So what happens from our perspective as we watch this match? Somewhere in the course of the game, someone scores a goal. Crowd go wild. Then, very quickly after that, it seems that three more goals are scored by the same team, in fact, by the same player. But very strangely, all the players now seem to be moving very slowly. The players move very slowly, the ball seems to move very slowly, the goalkeeper seems to oh, dive ever so slowly and just miss the ball. We seem to see these goals from different angles, from behind the goal, from in front of the goal. We're rejoicing because actually, well, I hope it's our team, our team are now 4 nil up. Well, they're not. Welcome to the world of instant replay. We're only one nil up. We've seen the same goal replayed from different angles. And I want to suggest that when we look and think and try to understand the seals that are opened, the trumpets that are blown, the bowls that are poured out, 
These can be understood by seeing this as retelling the same story from a different angle. It's a principle that's called recapitulation. Again, it's a very positive and strong idea in, in narratives of the time. The same story is told again from a different perspective. Now, now is there any validity in that argument that I'm putting before you? Well, for all the different ways that people would, would seek to unpack these passages, there is one point on which most people seem to agree. And that is that the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, and the seventh bowl seem to be talking about the same thing. It's a great earthquake, almost a kind of a world-ending earthquake. If we can have the kind of passages up there, uh, here we go. When the, this is the seventh seal. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumbling, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. This is the seventh trumpet. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. The ark of his covenant was seen within the temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. The seventh angel poured out his bowl. This is the seventh bowl now. Uh, into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there has never been seen since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. So there certainly seems to be something here about a retelling of this same event. It also seems there's kind of an increase in severity of the seventh of each of these, um, such that actually the world does seem to come to an end. This seventh of everything does seem to be a world-ending event. And that's what makes it kind of difficult if we absolutely read Revelation totally chronologically as the chapters come after each other. Because as we get to the end in Revelation 8.1 of the seventh seal, it kind of seems the world has come to an end. But then we kind of roll into the rest of Revelation 8 and 9 and, and everything still seems to be going on again. And you think, well, what happened to this world-ending event that kind of didn't seem to be that world-ending after all because we're still kind of carrying on? So there seems to be this idea that the seventh of everything does bring history to its kind of climax for Christ's return and judgment and all the stuff that we'll get to next year in the end of Revelation. So, so let's have this diagram up again, um, trying to kind of put Revelation on one slide that will try and help here. So, so what I've done here is on the, uh, on your, what, what are you, it'd be your right, well, I've got to turn it, yeah, on your right here, you've got the, the kind of climax of history. Uh, the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, the seventh bowl. And uh, what I've done, and I think because this is tough stuff to look at, this is tough stuff to read, what we need to hold on to as well is the stuff that I talked about, Danny talked about at the beginning of this bit of Revelation, chapters four and five, which is the overall message of history. Remember, if we want to distill Revelation down to one thought, one chapter, one idea, God is in control History is going somewhere. Victory is assured. That's what we need to hang on to in the tough bits in the middle. So we have an assurance. There's a climax of history that's coming. And in the middle here, 
we have these kind of three sets of seven judgments. We have seven seals that are opened, and they very much talk of kind of human turmoil and rebellion. We have seven trumpets that are blown, which kind of talk about nature in turmoil and rebellion. And then we have, sorry, six bowls, which are, if you like, the consequences uh, to mankind. Now, there's different ways, again, of, of viewing this. Uh, some people, some commentators, some teachers will say that they would order this as kind of six seals, then six trumpets, then six bowls, and then the seventh of everything comes together as a conclusion. Other would say you have six seals, six trumpets, six bowls, which are a recapitulation of that story, and then you have the seventh of everything, which brings history to its conclusion. Um, again, I think we all have to read Revelation ourselves and come to our own conclusions, our own judgments. Let the Holy Spirit speak to us as to how we would interpret that. Um, but certainly there's this idea that the seventh certainly talks of this kind of end of, of history. Uh, the, the, the six seals, I said, talk of human activity, the first six trumpets. We kind of read there of kind of nature unravelling. If you read those middle chapters in 8, 9 and 10, it talks of waters becoming polluted, skies becoming dark. And then the six bowls talk of the consequences of mankind. Lots of different ways to order all that. And again, I'm not going to go into those in great detail. Please read them for yourselves. But start to see something of, of the idea. Now, what I will do is I will just unpack a little bit of the chapter that we looked at, that we read together, uh, chapter 6, because we have these kind of first four seals that are open. I think if, if you've dipped into Revelation at all, it's something that's almost become part of um, our narrative. People talk of the four horsemen, the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's kind of a common phrase that has made its way into a lot of literature. Uh, again, partly based on lots of paintings and medieval kind of representations of this in history. But the first seal we were, that has opened, as we read at the beginning of Revelation, this white horse, it's a symbol of kind of military aggression and conquest. That's a kind of event that is, if you like, unleashed on the world, military unrest. The second seal releases uh, or is a symbol of a red horse, again, which symbolizes war and bloodshed. And obviously those things naturally follow military aggression. The third seal releases a black horse, which symbolizes famine. Uh, that cry here that was heard there, uh, wheat and barley, a denarius, it's a very interesting kind of way of explaining what it would be like to live in a time of famine. Because a denarius, imagine a denarius was what you would get paid for a day's work. That was the, the pay for a day's labour. So here we are, we've worked for a day, you've got a denarius in your pocket. Now how much does food cost? Well, as it said in the passage there, for a denarius, you can buy a quart of wheat or you can buy three quarts of barley. Okay, we've got a denarius in our pocket, we can either buy a quart of wheat or we can buy three quarts of barley. What, how much food do you need to live on? Well, broadly speaking, you need a quart of wheat to live. So if you're a single man earning, you can afford a day's food. A denarius will buy you a quart of wheat, which will feed you. 
You've got nothing else. You can't, go, can't hire Netflix or go out or go to the gym. Your, your entire income is bought on food. Now, what if you're a family man and you've got a, fat, you've got a wife and you've got a child? Well, a denarius will buy you, a quart, buy you three quarts of barley. Barley's a subsistence meal. So what that's really saying here, at a time of famine, your entire day's wage will be sufficient if you spend it all on food to feed a family of three on a subsistence diet. So this is a picture of famine. Okay? So this is, a, this is, this is Jesus talking to John. This is what Revelation is all about. What it's going to be like towards the end of time, whenever the end of time is. It's going to be a time of military aggression, a time of war, a time of famine. Um, fourth seal is released and we see a pale horse which symbolises disease and death. Again, all too familiar consequences of war. Now, the second question I want to ask is, when do these events occur? It's an important question, isn't it? When do these events occur? It's probably the question that's been asked most by people as they read Revelation. And I would guess that most people who have tentatively dipped their toes into Revelation, and that, that probably applies to just about all of us. I don't think anybody says they're swimming confidently in Revelation. We're all kind of dipping our toes tentatively into this book. But I guess that most people that have done that would, would have what is called a futurist view. Now, you may not call it that, but let me suggest that's probably how you, knowingly or not, would see these events. And what that primarily says is that this is tough stuff to read. This is scary stuff. We don't really see too much of that. Um, we do see scorched areas of the earth today. We do see sort of dried up areas. We do hear of military unrest. But some of the tough stuff here, well, not really to the extent that is spoken of in these passages. We don't really see that. If, if, if we were to just grab one of the events that occurs as the trumpets are blown, for instance. This is scary stuff. Uh, when the second trumpet is blown, the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, I don't reckon I've seen that uh, recently. So our natural tendency is to push that into the future. This is the scary stuff that will happen at some point in the future. Now, there are, many, there are, there are as many explanations for that particular verse as there are Bible commentators. So again, I'm not going to unpack that anymore, other to say that naturally we tend to push that into the future. It's a disturbing picture. And again, that's why we keep holding on to chapters 4 and 5 that say victory is assured. History is going somewhere. We have a God who is control, in control. There are, however, other ways to interpret those seals and trumpets and bowls. Uh, another view is what's called the, the preterist view. It's from the Latin preto, meaning before. And it would, at its heart, say... Most of these events can be interpreted in terms of things that happened in the first, second and third century. Uh, the Preterist view would really actually say, apart from the end of Revelation, where Christ does indeed return and when you have a new heaven and a new earth, the first, I guess, 19 chapters 
are primarily, primarily written to first century Christians. Now, whether we hold with that view or not, one thing I personally am convinced of is that first, second, and century Christians who got this letter from John firsthand, I know the one thing that they didn't do, the one thing that they didn't do is read this letter and think, do you know what? I'm so glad in 2,000 years some folks who are going to rock up that sort of understand this. And we can just stick it back on the bookshelf for 2,000 years. No, Revelation would have meant something to first, second, and second, first, second, and third century Christians. Now, I must confess that I tend to favour a third view, um, which is what's called the idealist view. And what this really does is it says that, uh, and again, I may be right, may be wrong, I think I said we've got to be humble with all of this. Strong arguments can be made for all of these views. But this view suggests that the things that we read of here are symbolic of the struggles that the church and the world faces through every generation. In every generation, there's going to be an outworking of the seven seals, the seven bowls, the seven trumpets. Every generation is going to see military aggression, bloodshed, famine, death. And yes, there is going to be an escalation of those things over the years, leading to the ultimate and final return of Christ. Every generation will see something in Revelation that says, yes, we identify with this. Now, this is actually an idea that we can explore a little bit more if you want to in the Q&A afterwards. I've got some other slides. We haven't got time for them today, but we can talk about them there if that's something that you're interested in. But every generation will read Revelation and see what is described against the backdrop of the world we're living in. And I think we need to be careful, again, holding a view that, any view that kind of says, well, we can absolutely and definitively tie this event to this passage in Revelation, and therefore Jesus is returning on such and such a date. The internet is littered with false prophets who have confidently predicted that the end of the world will occur on the 13th of November 2025 because dot 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 is going to happen and that date rolls around and yes we're still still here and I'm pretty much sure that that sort of thing has happened in every generation people have looked at an event and said that's it that's it we're definitively saying you know Christ is coming back now and here we are now, obviously, Christ is coming back. One generation will actually get it right. Guess what, guys? There will be, and it might be, it might be our generation. We might be the generation that sees Christ come back. But we might not. It might be our kids' generation, or our great-grandchildren's generation, or a generation of that. We don't know. Brothers and sisters, if God wanted us to know when he was going to come back, he would have told us. He chose to give us symbols. He chose to write it to us in this way. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, And you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Do you know what? I think Jesus is doing a pretty good job there in Matthew of summing up Revelation. Maybe you don't need me and Danny. Maybe we just need to read Matthew 24 verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, 
but the end is not yet. By the way, if you want to find out more about those different um, views, again, it's the second video, the additional kind of videos that I've put together to help us understand Revelation. Uh, you can get to them on the church website or on Facebook. There's some little cards on the table out there that give you the link to them as well if you want to explore this idea a little bit more. But I want to move on to perhaps the third question. I've asked the question, uh, when do these events occur? I've asked, tried to answer the question, how do we order these events? third question I want to look at is what happens in between? If we can move on the slides a little bit, you'll notice there was a gap here. I've now filled that gap in because I think this is really interesting and this is why I wanted to group these chapters together in this way. Because the seals and the bowls and the trumpets, as scary as they are, are a picture of what is happening to the world. They're a picture of what is happening to the world as history comes to a conclusion. Now, as Christians, we are caught up in that. We are caught up in the, in the stuff that happens there, as scary as it might seem. But, and this is the important but, that is not the only story. There's another narrative that is taking place alongside that that you read in the other chapters. In chapter 7, <clears throat> Danny did this last week, we looked at two peoples, this 144,000, this idea that there is a great multitude that is sealed by God. God has a people. And when we read this stuff and think, oh, this is really tough. I don't know how to, 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 to build this into my worldview. We say, yeah, it is tough, but hey, we got Revelation 7. God's got a people. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I think I'm down for this one. We've got chapter 11. And these are groups of twos. We've got two peoples. We've got two witnesses. We've got two beasts. This is what is happening to the church at the same time. And while all of this is going on, there's this great story in chapter 11 that the church proclaims the gospel. In the midst of oppression, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of a world unravelling, the church preaches the gospel with confidence and power and with victory. And in the midst of that, the church suffers persecution. There's this, this balance. How do we do this? How do we, do, how do we face incredible persecution and yet preach the gospel with power and confidence and victory? Well, those two things are going to happen. And so chapter uh, 12 and 13 and 14, they're all about the, the persecution that the church will face, and yet it will still preach the gospel with confidence. So these two interweaving narratives that will spin through uh, the rest of this passage. I'm looking at time. We're nearly out of time. I want to finish or start to sum up. I, I have a thing about preachers who say, and finally and then manage to go on for another 20 minutes, okay? Uh, I am looking at the clock. I am saying finally, but, but I need your indulgence for just 10 more minutes because I do have just three things that I want you to take away from this. It's so important that we take the right things away from Revelation, that we're not scared by this book. God did not write this book to scare us, okay? There are three things that I want us to take away, three things about God that we as Christians can learn from this passage. Firstly, God's wrath and God's justice. One of the biggest challenges, I think, in reading this whole book 
is trying to come to terms with the idea that God's wrath is being poured out on mankind. That these terrible events are happening at all. How, how do we, with a picture of a loving God, sort of reconcile that? We love gentle Jesus, meek and mild. We're not so comfortable with the apocalyptic stuff in Revelation. How do we, how do we you know, this doesn't sit easy with us. We don't really have a handle on God's wrath and God's judgment. And I would think possibly because as far as history is concerned, we live in unusual times. And that we is we in the West in the 21st century. Because we do not experience that much persecution. You might get some funny jokes at work about what you do on a Sunday. You might get ridiculed. You might get mocked a bit. But actually, we don't face persecution. That's not a true picture of the church at the wide throughout history or the church throughout the world. It's impossible to number the number of Christians that die for their faith every year. You can look at any sort of number on the internet from the low thousands to the high hundreds of thousands. One thing that we'll say, though, is that Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world today. And certainly there are many, many tens of thousands that lose their life for their faith. We in the West don't really see that. We don't experience that type of persecution. We don't really cry out to God for vengeance because actually we haven't been terribly wronged in our lives. But imagine for a moment that you are a Rwandan Christian who's not only seen your family killed before you for their faith, then you yourself have been beheaded for your faith. And you now stand before the throne of God as a martyr. The cry on your lips will be, when will there be vengeance? When will there be justice for this wrong? Because the one thing that must not happen is that history comes to an end and that event is not reconciled. That event is not responded to. That event is not justified. And so back in chapter 5, we had this scroll, if you remember. It's this, this picture of world history. And history only comes to an end when the seal is broken and the scroll is open and read. And John weeps because nobody can open the scroll. Nobody can bring history to a conclusion. Nobody can avenge these wrongs. And it isn't that just John weeps. John weeps loudly. When will these wrongs be avenged? And then a voice says, fear not, because the Lamb is worthy to open the seal, to bring history to an end, to bring uh, justice where justice is needed. God's authority. The second thing I think we need to take away from this, I think we need to pull out of these passages, while it may not be obvious, while it may not be clear, is that these events are not stuff that the enemy does to us. God's in control. The lamb opens the seals. The angels blow the trumpets. The angels pour out these bowls of wrath, however we want to understand that. God is not sitting there in heaven, wringing his hands, thinking, oh my word, look what's happening to my world, what on earth do I do? God is not taken by surprise by these events. God initiates them. 
Revelation, above all books in the Bible, gives us the clearest possible picture of God's authority. And then the third thing that we take away from Revelation is God's protection for his people. Again, it's not something that we immediately see when we read these passages. It doesn't seem as there's much protection in these books, in this passage. But God knows his people and holds them securely. When the fifth trumpet is blown, we have this picture of of a plague of locusts or scorpions. Again, that's how John describes it. Uh, And and these animals, these creatures are told to, to not harm the grass or the earth or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. That's Revelation 9, 4 and 5. Now again, we don't have time to unpack that verse, but, but there's this picture, and you see this throughout Revelation, of God's people being sealed. God's people being protected. Again, when I want to explain Revelation, I just go to what Jesus said about it. Jesus wrote the best commentary on Revelation. You find it in his Gospels. Uh, in Luke 21, Jesus said this. He said, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you will be put to death. You'll be hated for all by my name's sake. That's not a very comforting verse, is it? What comes after that? This is Luke 21, 16, 18. You'll be hated for all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. That doesn't make sense. I'm persecuted by friends, family and relatives. I'm put to death but not a hair on my head is hurt. That doesn't make sense. there's There's a discrepancy there. Because there's two narratives. If you want to look at this from Earth's view, yes, you are persecuted and oppressed and put to death. From Heaven's view, you stand before the throne. Not a hair on your head is broken. In eternity, you are unharmed. In eternity, you are protected. The challenges, the difficulties we face are momentary and are the view from an earthly perspective. Brothers and sisters, lift your eyes up. See things from heaven. John is told in the loudest possible verse, come up here. Stop looking at things from an earthly view. See things from heaven's perspective. That's how we read and understand this book. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your book. I thank you for your encouragement. I thank you for the fact that you have assured us of a destiny, that we know where we are going. We are secure. We are safe in you. Oh, Father. Father, for any this morning that don't know you, if you're here this morning, you don't know this Jesus, this world history, this amazing story that we've been talking of, can I encourage you just to find out more, just to ask those who bought you, ask those you you know, know Jesus himself, ask them to tell you more about this wonderful saviour, about this wonderful story, about this wonderful uh, saga that we are all caught up in as brothers and sisters and brothers and sons and daughters of the Lamb. Amen. Amen.